Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, everybody, it's good to have you here. Happy Sunday at the Vineyard. Seems like you guys are happy. It's like first service. Everybody was super electric. It's good. Very good. Hey, for those of you who don't know, my name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here. Glad you are with us this morning, seeing some new faces. Always good to have you guys around. Hey, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to continue our series called The Hilarious Grace of Losing. What we're doing in this series is we are taking a slow walk through Luke chapter 9. We're just looking at one chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 9, we're spending five weeks there. This is week number four. We're going to do one more week next week. And here's essentially what we're looking at in Luke chapter 9. One of the things that you see in all of the Gospels, but Luke chapter 9 is one of those moments in the text where we get high contrast and it's easier to see something that's all over the Gospels in one small concentrated place. And part of what you see in Luke chapter 9 is something that I've been referring to as uh, external and then internal journeys with Jesus. So all of the disciples in the text, they all take external journeys with Jesus. So for instance, Jesus invites Andrew and John and Peter to come out of their boats and to leave their families and to leave their jobs and to come on a journey with them. And they quite literally get out of the boat and they begin to follow them around. That's an external journey. In the same way, you and I, we take external journeys with Jesus as well. Hopefully, you've decided to be a disciple. And then part of that discipleship process is you begin to do the things that Jesus says. Uh, You begin to go to some of the places that Jesus says to go. I mean, you're here. Part of the external journey in the most general way is just to be a part of a church on a weekly basis. This is Jesus is bride and you just show up and, and so you're here. And this is, in some ways, the external journey. And if we can make it more specific, maybe you're, maybe you're hosting a home group uh, this fall. And if, you're, if you are, hey, high fives. Or, or maybe you're leading one of those groups. And if you are, high fives. Or, or maybe you're going to go to one of those groups. Like, everyone should go to a group. And if you are, then high five. All of that's external journey stuff. Uh, if you're on the greeting team, like if you stand at the door and you, and you find new people and you ask them, hey... Is this your first Sunday? And they tell you, no, I've been here for eight months. And you're like, wow, this is awkward. (laughs) But if that's what you're doing, if that's what you're doing, high fives. That's external journey with Jesus. If you show up at 7.50 and you make coffee so that everybody can have some of that, that's external journey. If If you do kids ministry, if you play guitar, if you run the sound, that's all external journey with Jesus stuff. And if you hang out here long enough, part of what Jesus wants you to do is find some way to take the external journey with Jesus here with us. That's, it's essential. Everybody does that. And then one of the things that I've noticed both in the scriptures and in my own life is that the external journey with Jesus ends up being the doorway through which you take the internal journey with Jesus. So, so like if you serve here, if you lead a home group, or if you host, or if you greet, or you make coffee, or you play a little electric guitar, all of that becomes the context for entering into the internal journey with Jesus. So, so how many of you know if you hang out at church or if you, if you try to do the Jesus thing either here or maybe at your work or in your family, 
that eventually things go haywire and then you realize, wow, I'm not really that much of a disciple of Jesus after all. I'm filled with bitterness and anger and all of these like negative emotions and I have appetites. I don't know where they're coming from that aren't really serving me well. And then all of a sudden, the external journey that you've been taking with Jesus provides this very stark contrast for who you really are. All of a sudden, you discover who you are and then you realize, Holy crap, I've got to take an internal journey with Jesus. Like, I'm filled with bitterness, and I don't really like people. And when people treat me bad, then I'm angry for six months, and I lose. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does this make sense? Yeah, this happens to everybody. So part of the life of the disciple is, on the one hand, you wake up to the call of Jesus. And if you haven't, I highly recommend it. He's calling out. Come follow me. He's saying this to everyone, everywhere. Come and take an external journey with Jesus. But know this, the external journey with Jesus is going to baptize you into the internal journey with Jesus, where he begins to work on who you really, really are. Not your fake self, not your Instagram self, not your false self, not the denial self, the real self. Does this make sense? This is what we see in Luke chapter 9. And so in Luke chapter 9, we see four, we see four internal journeys, and I, it's like the second slide. These are the journeys that you take in Luke chapter 9. So if you read Luke chapter 9, every single one of those passages could in some ways fit into one of these journeys. What are the journeys? It's the journey of our weakness and inability. It's the journey of our misunderstanding. Many times in Luke chapter 9, Jesus will say something plain, usually about his death, and the disciples do not get it. One of the things that Jesus wants to do is he wants to lead us into our misunderstandings. Then this week, this is what we're going to look at. Number three, the journey of our tribal and territorial hearts. Yay. And then next week, we're going to look at the journey into the cost of following Jesus. By the way, you've probably realized here, this is not an encouraging list. There's a reason it's not an encouraging list. Um, As we've said in weeks past, One of the things that I've found is that we rarely learn things in victory and by winning. We we usually learn things by getting our butts kicked. Right? Have you ever noticed that? Uh, It's usually not when life is going really well that you wake up to new things. It's usually when there's not enough money. It's usually when someone really offends you. It's usually when maybe you've been really bad to someone. Or it's usually when we get sick. It's usually, it's usually in defeat that we wake up and we're able to enter into the internal journey with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? And that's why we're calling it the hilarious grace of losing. You know, American culture is trying to tell you, listen, be winners. But Jesus is oftentimes turning these things upside down. And the kingdom of heaven is oftentimes entering in by the losing and not so much the winning. And so that's the reason. The disciples, they just keep getting things wrong over and over again in Luke chapter 9. They just get one thing after another wrong. And in every instance, the good news is that Jesus is present in their weakness and he makes it right. So this is the good news this morning. If you find out that you're a weak person, and by the way, eventually you will. On the day that you find out that you're a weak person, it's gospel good news. Why? Because you found out who you really are. And if you look around, Jesus is there. And he's willing to bring healing every single time. Okay? So, really quickly, we can put our passage up this morning. These are 
two little moments in the scriptures, and I hope you notice they go right together. And Luke has put them together for a reason for us. And by the way, these two passages this morning are filled with irony, which is to say they're really funny and really sad all at the same time. Okay, so here it is. Luke chapter 9, 49 through 56. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. But we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. (laughs) The irony will become more apparent in a moment. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Then immediately following, the very next thing. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent some messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Read for that theological dispute. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. Hmm. Heck of a passage this morning. So good. So good. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of those passages that is oddly humorous. And it's really sad all at the same time. And here's the thing about this passage. If you don't read your Bible carefully, it's filled with stuff that you just miss entirely. The first passage, and we'll just leave it up here. The first passage this morning is about the disciples chastising a man who is using Jesus' name to cast out demons. And I hope you know that the way that Luke writes it here, it seems like he's successful, doesn't it? Would you all agree? It, apparently, the guy is doing it. Right? And the disciples are stopping someone who is having success. Why? Because he isn't in our group. He isn't in our group. Now, here's what's really, really funny. What's really funny about this, and in order to catch this bit of irony, you have to read all of Luke chapter 9 to feel the gravity. Here's how it goes. Here's the trajectory in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 begins with Jesus sending out the twelve. And he says specifically at the beginning of Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends the disciples out to preach the good news to the poor, basically. And he says very specifically, he gives them power and authority to cast out all demons. Okay? And it seems like they go out and maybe have a little success. Okay, so there's the beginning. Right in the middle of the passage, Jesus is up on the mountain of transfiguration. That's a fancy word for he's glowing white and he meets some old guys. Okay. He comes down the mountain. It's a big moment, but we, we got to move on. He comes down the mountain only to discover some of his other disciples that he'd left behind in the midst of a great big turmoil. And, and a man comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, you have to help me. Your disciples cannot cast the demon that is in my son who is tormenting him. So he's basically saying, I have a son. The son has a demon. It's tormenting him. And your disciples cannot cast out the demon. Okay, so the beginning of the chapter is all power, all authority to deal with demonic spirits given to the disciples. The middle of the chapter is kid with a demon, the disciples cannot handle it. Jesus takes care of it, by the way. And then we come to this passage. And someone else, someone else is apparently having success doing what? Casting out demons. And what is the disciples' response to this? 
we got to stop this guy. He's not in our group. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It is so, so incredible. You have to zoom out. So basically, here's what's going on. The disciples don't have the power. They've been given the power, but they don't know how to use it. But make no mistake, they can stop other people who are setting people free. Right? How many of you have heard the old adage, if you can't beat them, join them? Yeah, we all have. I I would contend that there's something that sits a level beneath that that's even more fundamental. And it's this, if you can't beat them, stop them. Or at least protest them. Picket them. Say bad things about them on the internet. You know? And so I suppose the first point I want to make this morning is that so much of our own tribal us versus them tendencies, they're really rooted in jealousy and envy. Be especially careful when other people are doing things that we cannot. And be especially careful about speaking from our failures into another person's success. That always creates a division. And it's a division that will always receive the rebuke of Jesus. So when someone's having success, and it's specifically in an area that we don't have success, rather than voicing our own jealousies, our own insecurities, our own envies, we have to check those. Because it ends up creating divisions that Jesus will have no part of. Now I want you to look at Jesus' rebuke in verse 50. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, maybe you could underline it with a pencil or something. If you have a Bible on your phone, you can double tap it and highlight that. It's really important. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, don't stop him. Anyone who's not against you is for you. Anyone who's not against you is for you. Jesus is basically saying, hey guys, same team. Same team. Now, Many of you know this, but for those of you who don't, I'll go ahead and tell you. Uh, my wife and I, we are living in, we're living in soccer hell right now. <laughs> it is a place. I don't know what we did to deserve this. For those of you who don't know, we have four kids. They all play soccer. And they all play soccer at different levels. Right? Um, we do soccer six days a week. We get a bit of a reprieve on Sunday afternoons. Parker McCorvey once tried to get Heather to come to soccer a few weeks ago. And I said, if you go today, meaning Sunday, for like Vineyard Soccer Sunday, I said, if you go today, I'm, I'm going to slide tackle you and break your legs on the way out the door. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so part of, our, part of my soccer hell experience right now is that I'm coaching Rowan's U6 team. And for those of you who don't know, U6 is... Four and five-year-olds, right? And I even have some three-year-olds because apparently the rules say that you can, if you turn four sometime within the season, you can play. So I have three, four, and five-year-olds on my little team. And I would like to report that I've not made any of the children cry. <laughs> I did yell at a kid yesterday. I said, there's no pouting in soccer! And I picked him up, you know. But he was already crying. I didn't make him cry. He was already crying. But... The number one thing I, ye- I yell, and I do yell, and it's not, I'm not angry, it's, it's who I am, you know? I'm loud, yeah. Anyway, but the number one thing I yell while I'm on the field is, same team! 
Same team. Like it, because U6 is it's beehive soccer. So you roll the ball out, and then there's just this little beehive of children, you know? It's not soccer. It's just, I don't know what it is, you know? But I'm just yelling, same team. Well, anyway, one of the kids on our team is a sweet little kid named um, Clayton. And Clayton has these red, like, sports goggles, and he, and he weighs, like, 27 pounds. He, he's basically a chihuahua, you know? <laughs> but he's really fast, and Clayton gets a breakaway, and he's about to score a goal, only to have my own son come from the far left side of the field. And he just, far right, rather, and he's running left, and he just, and he knocks Clayton over, and he takes the ball, and he scores. And, of course, Rowan turns around, and he gives us one of these. <laughs> Same team, you know? That's, that's Luke 49 and 50. Don't stop him. Anybody who's against you is actually for you. And you, you need to underline that 50 part because, because of what happens next. The next thing. Here's the next thing that happens. Jesus sends the disciples into Samaria to get some supplies because he's going to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans are like, yeah, we don't want to help you guys. And there's lots of reasons why they don't want to help them. But without getting into it deeply, let's just, let's just you trust me on this. It's, it's theologically rooted, okay? Because the Samaritans are like, yeah, you know, Jerusalem's not really the place to worship. It's, 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 it's long history. We don't have the time to go there. But it's theologically rooted. And so the disciples go into town to get supplies for Jesus, but they don't get any help. In fact, they get opposition, right? And they decide the way that we're going to deal with the opposition is we're just going to burn them all up. We'll pray and we'll burn them up. Now this is hilarious to me on a couple levels. Because one, it's like, they really believed that, you know, it's like, well, you know, guys. We always have the nuclear option, you know. <laughs> anyway, but, but beyond that. Part of the irony or the sad part is you have to frame the second half against the first part. So Jesus says, hey, guys, anyone who's not against you is for you. Okay, the next thing that happens is, hey, guys, go into Jerusalem. Go into Samaria, rather, because we need some stuff for our trip. And the Samaritans are like, yeah, we're not helping you. So the disciples run back to Jesus. It's tattletale mode, you know, just like the first section. The disciples come back and they're like, Jesus, you want us to just call fire down? Now, it's hilarious because the disciples actually think, they actually think they're following Jesus, right? Let, let's just figure this out here for a second. If anybody's not for you, if anybody is not against you, they're what? They're for you. Okay, the next thing that happens is the disciples run into people who are against them. What's the click they have in their brain? Oh, they're salivating, right? Oh, anybody who's not against this is for us. But the ones who are against this, see, the disciples made a mental leap, right? They're like, okay, anybody who's not against us is actually for us. But the jerks who are against us, they got it coming, right? And not only that, but we have the words of Jesus on our side. And at this point, the disciples know that he's the Messiah. So now we've got Messiah's words on our side. Anybody who's not, a, who's not against us is for us. Okay, I can deal with that. It's not great, but I can deal with that. And anybody who is against us, this is it. It's game time. And then furthermore, not only do they have the words of Jesus, but they've got like Old Testament Bible to back this up. 
You guys remember that Elijah story? Elijah in the Old Testament, he has the confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And here's the long story short. Maybe you're a Bible scholar or maybe you don't know anything about the Bible. But there's a guy, his name is Elijah. He has a confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Read for that, the bad guys. And he says, well, let's just, let's just set up a sacrifice and see who God likes, basically. And he lets the prophets of Baal go. And it's not working out so well for them. And then it becomes Elijah's turn. He's like, well, before we do the thing that I'm going to do, why don't you guys throw a bunch of water on my sacrifice and be sure to soak the wood and dig a moat. Let's just fill it up, you know. And You know, it's, it's drama all the way. And then Elijah prays and fire comes and consumes not just the sacrifice, but the prophets of Baal, you know. It's, it's one of those parts of the Bible. It's like, I wish that wasn't there, but whatever. So, so here's the disciples. And these are... These are good Jewish boys. Like, they read the Bible, you know. They know about Elijah. And now, now, they have Jesus saying things like, if, not, if anyone's not against you, they're for you. That must mean if they're against us, they're against us. But in fact, rather than being allowed to call down fire, Jesus rebukes them. We've got to get this in our hearts, y'all. See, here's the Jesus way in life and ministry. When people are not against you, they're for you. And when people are against you, they're not against you. This is the Jesus way. Some of us are thinking, great. Great. Some of us hear this and get a little bummed. Why? Because sometimes it feels good in a really weird way to be treated poorly. I know that sounds awkward, but for some of us in the room, we actually like being treated poorly a little bit. We like to live with a Tom Brady chip on our shoulders, you know? <laughs> Six round, overlooked. Some of us are spiritual masochists. But that's just not how it's going to work in the end. Both of these stories reveal just how tribal we can be. And not some of us, but all of us. We're still, and this is the scary part, we're still, you can be faithfully following Jesus and still be tribal and petty. I hope you noticed this morning, the disciples, they're following Jesus. They know He's the Messiah. Not only that, but in 51 and 52, they're actually following His instructions. So there's a sense in which sometimes following Jesus faithfully actually brings us into contact with our weakest parts. Specifically, our tendency to be tribal, to be territorial, to be petty, and to make us versus them distinctions that Jesus is having no part of. This is the work of God in our lives. God wants to excavate our hearts all the way to the bottom. And some of us are thinking, well, this does not sound good. I don't want this kind of exposure. But it is good because whatever Jesus finds, he will heal. That's what you need to know. Whatever he finds, he will heal. And every one of us in the room, we all need healing like this. Maybe you haven't awakened to this just yet. But maybe this could be the first Sunday where you do. We all have a tendency to be petty and to be tribal. You know, we all have that tendency. You know, we're the righteous. We're saved. 
And not only are we saved, but we're like more saved than all those other people who are saved. And this is super normal in the church. Like, we're right because our doctrine is right. You know, those reformed guys, those are losers. They don't know anything. We're like, we're like Christus Victor guys. Like, we know the real thing. And those guys are losers, right? Or whatever you want to do. And then, and then if you're charismatic, it works a little bit like this. You know, Jesus did some miracles in our meeting. Therefore, we know him best and you guys are doing it wrong. By the way, that always happens. That always, always happens. One of the little tendencies that grows up alongside every charismatic renewal, uh, revival, any stream you have going, one of the tendencies that grows up along with it is a little bit of an elitist spirit. I've seen it so many times. Why? Because of the human tendency to be petty and to be tribal. Things that begin in unity pretty soon... Oh, my goodness. They take on the cult of personality and then we start choosing. Yeah. But the gospel, the good news that's from God, it comes from heaven and it puts on human flesh. And Jesus doesn't make divisions. Instead, he heals them. This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is good news. And you have to pay attention to this here. I hope you see the trajectory. God comes to earth. He's moving into the neighborhood. And he doesn't just move into the neighborhood, but he takes on human flesh. He lives in some ways within our limitations. And he takes on human flesh to heal our tribal divisions. Some of us here need to write that down. Some of us need to look at the scriptures again. But what do people do? Here's what people do. We see it in the story this morning. In the first story... The disciples rebuke a man for using Jesus' name. He's not on our team. And I hope you understand that this first story is all about power, right? The power to cast out demons. The power to say who is in and the power to say who is out. The The first section is all about power. But the second section, the second story, the disciples are threatened and they threaten heaven fire because they're not received. Read for that, not liked. Read for that, not agreed with, which reveals something about us. Here's what people really want. And by people, I mean us. What we really want is we want to have all the power and we want to protect all the power. And then we want to be liked, affirmed, agreed with, and welcomed. This is what people want. I want to have the power. I want to keep the power. And then I want you to like me. I want you to affirm me. I want you to welcome me. What does this sound like? God. Who's the one person in the universe who has all the power and all the affirmation? There is this human tendency to want to be God. In fact, the very first sin, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit off of the tree, really, that whole scenario is just about wanting to be God without actually dealing with God. That's what it is. And so we see it replayed over and over and over again. Where do human divisions come from? It's the hope that I could be God. That's really where it comes from. The hope that I could hold the power and that you could give me the affirmation. We wouldn't say worship that's too strong. We'd we'd conceal it just a little bit. We'd say welcome. We'd say like. 
But the truth is, we all want to be God. And right in the middle, right in the middle of our God complex stands Jesus. Hope you see that this morning. The disciples are having a God complex, and right in the middle of the God complex stands Jesus. And by the way, He actually is God. And we see Jesus, who's coming to earth, submitting to incarnation, healing the sick, preaching good news to the poor, calling clueless disciples, blessing rogue exorcists, and protecting territorial Samaritans. And why is He doing this? Here's why God does all of that. Because He loves the world. It's because He loves the whole world. Not this little part or this little speck. God loves the whole world. Can I tell you something? God loves Kentucky. And all the other parts. God loves Kentucky. And He loves Tennessee. And He loves America. And He loves Canada. And He loves Mexico. And He doesn't love the U.S. more than He loves Mexico. And He loves Afghanistan. And He loves Pakistan. And He loves Iraq. He loves all the stands in the countries that you can't remember. He loves every country that has terrorists. He loves all the countries that harbor terrorists. And He doesn't love them less than He loves us. Yeah. That's the way it works. Yeah. We would like to call down fire. And Jesus will have none of it. None of it. Jesus, they don't welcome us. You don't know what spirit you're of. This is the good news. We cannot claim Jesus and deny the orphan or the refugee. We cannot claim Jesus and put up fences where Jesus wants wide open spaces. We have to learn the welcoming ways of God. Here's the trajectory, church. God from heaven to the world. Then in the world. Then in the world sending the disciples deeper still. All the way up to today. We have to learn the welcoming ways of God. We have to give up our tribal tendencies. We have to give up our petty territorialisms. We have to become arms open people. And this is a day, especially in America, where we have the opportunity to learn it. Some of us are a little beleaguered by the way, gosh, just things are in our country. And let me tell you something. I, for one, am massively beleaguered. It hurts my heart, the things that happen in our country. Let me just say right now, the things that are going on are not okay. They're not okay in any way. But here's the good news. The good news is, is that all these winds that are blowing right now, they provide us. And by us, I mean, they provide the church the opportunity to open up and to, and to reach out to the world with the good news of Jesus. It, people want to hear it right now. They really, really do. I've had more of an opportunity to share Jesus with more different kinds of people than I've ever had, and for it to be heard. People are listening right now. The more hateful our politicians are, the more compassionate the church has to be. We have to. This is it. Jesus will not let the borders and the boundaries keep us from one another. Luke chapter 9. You want us to call down fire, Jesus? No. Not at all. Amen? Amen. Hey, I feel good. I really do. I feel good about that. I think at least 80% of what I said this morning was true. (laughs) That's being conservative, but I feel pretty good about it. All right, hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. 
Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.